Good afternoon, Deja Vu FM, music with meaning and healing with myself, MSG and Kuda London. Yeah, yeah. Thank you guys for tuning in. Shout out DJ Sparkle in the mix, bringing those vibes on this Saturday morning. The weather's not that great, guys, but I hope you're having positive vibes wherever you are in the world tuned in. We appreciate you. So today we have a special guest in the building. Thank you very much for joining us today. You have actually joined us previously when you came and supported a fellow guest who is also in the studio today. Shout out <laughs> Lyndon Wizard. Yeah. Hey. yeah. <laughs> so, Michelle, please can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Well, 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 I'm so excited to be here with the two of you. You're so cute. You really are. You really are. Thank you. When I came with Lyndon last time, I thought, oh my goodness, check out these two girls. Oh. They got their own show. They're just, you know, running the airways on a Saturday morning. So well done to you both. Thank you. Um, so my name is, is Michelle Johnson and... Um, Oh my goodness, I have got many hats that I wear and I guess for this public sort of persona, mm -hmm. it's H. Michelle Johnson is the brand okay. um, and that's what you'll find me on all my social media, it's at Ms. H.M. Johnson. Um, so I am an author in my sort of not working life, yep. to put it that way, or my non-employment life. Your creative life. <laughs> my creative life, that's <laughs> right, that's right, that's right. Um, so I've written two books. 
I am a speaker, I'm a coach, I'm a, a trained life coach. Um, what else do I do? I don't know. What's your, what's your day to nine to five job? Oh, so yes, I work in the NHS. Uh, I'm currently an equality, diversity and inclusion lead of for the Northwest London region <laughs> of the NHS. Love that. Are you actually from Northwest London? Or? That's where I live. Oh, hey, yeah, yeah. North Weezy. Love up to that. Northwest London. Yeah, yes, love that. <laughs> so being in your line of work, does it give you a sense of fulfillment? Do you feel like this role in particular is your sole purpose or your calling on this planet? Well, you know, that's such a fantastic question and it sounds simple, but actually it's a pretty complicated one to answer. Um, I actually am enjoying my role very, very much. But having said that, it's actually a really difficult role emotionally, mentally, psychologically. And it's a role that I always thought I never wanted to have, actually. So I was offered this role. I didn't really apply for it. <laughs> I was offered this job. And I just thought, okay, I'm going to take it and have a, a go at it. Um, I come from a nursing background, just to say. I was born in Trinidad. Um, and I did my high school in Canada. And then I came here at 21 to the UK to study nursing. So wow. that's how I started out in the National Health Service. Um, and I really loved that role. I loved nursing people, loved caring for people, loved seeing people... Not seeing them coming in ill, but seeing them get, get better, better yeah. and mm -hmm. leave the ward kind of thing. Um, and then I, I used to run a service at um, a big hospital in central London. Um, it was a nurse-led clinic um, uh, that looked after women with a predisposition to breast and ovarian cancer. Um, so it's cancer genetics, really, and I did that for 10 years. Lots of counseling involved, genetic counseling, but also psychological support. So that was also an emotional, laborious, laborious um, job that I had, really. Because a lot of the women I saw, um, you know, they would have had two, three, four, five, sometimes the whole family devastated, really, because of most of the women dying quite young from yeah. either breast or ovarian cancer. Um, and so there was a lot of uh, psychological support um, that I had to provide for that. Um, I, I, I think I'm losing my train of thought here because I'm going down <laughs> a road that you asked me whether the current job is my, is my thing. But I think, you know, the thing that has kind of been the common thread throughout the roles I've played is a caring role. Mm. I, it's something that um, I want to do for other people as opposed to sort of, I like to say, pushing papers round the table. Yeah. It has to have some meaning for, for a population of people. Um, it has to make something better for them. It has to do something that lifts them up. And so equality, diversity, and inclusion kind of does that because it's about social justice. It's about fairness. It's about making sure that everybody's got opportunities, um, fair access to those opportunities, um, opportunities to develop themselves professionally and the like. So in that way, it is very, um, it's fulfilling for me in that sense. Yeah. Love so that's that. That's a long answer. That's what we that. like. We like it when our guests like go off on tangents because we yeah. find out so much more about you. Right. Yeah. Exactly yeah. that. <laughs> Don't worry. Throughout your time working in your profession, have you seen a shift in the challenges and issues that occur and also the expectations and the needs of your clients? Yes, absolutely. And it's just yesterday, in fact, I was in a, a learning set um, yesterday afternoon and I, and I actually brought that up because we're on this um, uh, uh, 
course. Sorry, mm. that we just distracted me. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, it's just like this big train pass. <laughs> like, what is it? Is the building falling down? Um, okay. No, we're still here. We're still live. <laughs> my two hosts were so calm. I thought, no, well, it can't be. But sorry, okay. we're used to it. We should have warned. We should have warned Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So we're on this 21st century leadership course, right? And I kind of, so they, why are you on the course? So I just kind of said, well, the truth is I was born two thirds way the last century. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I just wanted to see what 21st century leadership would look like, you know, yeah. get myself up to speed as it were, because I'd done lots of leadership courses in the past. But the reason I think, you know, the 21st century leadership thing, it's, it's because actually so much has changed. Um, the world is changing so rapidly. Uh, prior to 2000, I don't know if either of you were, was actually born before 2000, yeah. but anyway, <laughs> um, you know, um, it was a different landscape, different environment to, to what it is now in the 21st century. And I would say even um, five years ago, it was very different to what it is today. Pre-COVID, it's very different to what it is post-COVID three years on. So there's the environment is changing and changing at pace very rapidly. And so um, I could see why 21st century leadership would be very relevant to us in the in the NHS um, mm-hmm. health sector. So the answer to your question is that things have changed. Yeah. And in terms of equality in the equality, diversity, and inclusion space, I think change things have changed because in that prior to COVID, and I should say prior to the death, the murder of George Floyd, we were always grappling in the NHS, particularly around equalities. Um, But since the death, the murder of George Floyd, what has changed is that the conversations are now more open. Um, A lot of discussion is being had about equality, a lot of examination as to what are the inequalities, inequalities in health, but also inequalities within our workforce. What is driving those inequalities? What is it that we can do about them? Um, And and although the conversations have opened up and there are many more stakeholders and players um, involved in those conversations and discussions, there's a lot of work to still convince a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those people are real power brokers as well. So, um, and that is the frustrating bit of my job. That's the bit of my job that makes me think, I just don't understand the thinking that the data is so clear, um, people's experiences shared are so clear, but there's still an element of people who just think, well, what what are you on about? Mm-hmm. That's not true. Yeah. You know, so that's my challenge in my role. Mm-hmm. Um, so they say ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. <laughs> ignorance yeah. is actually a big privilege, mm. a huge privilege. Yeah. Um, and so, um, so that's, that, I think that's what's changed in my line of work in terms mm-hmm. of the conversations around race and uh, around equality okay. um, has, has, has changed because people are actually having them. Mm-hmm. And on your social media, you mentioned in your bio, you are a mental health growth mindset and resilient coach are these subjects that you actually studied or is that something you fell into so i i trained as a life coach which is a a sort of broad foundation if you like Mm. and then i got into studying mental health and resilience um, Mm. because of a health condition that i had some years ago and I um, even for the life coach course I always say you know, I didn't really train to have clients but I've had clients over the years every now mm-hmm. and again I've, I've said yes I've, I've, I've coached someone um, I did it for myself for my own personal development mm. to kind of figure out some of the stuff in my own head 
um, understand my motivations and to get myself motivated. Um, but in terms of the mental health and the resilience side, um, that was also very intensely personal because I um, was diagnosed with depression, in fact, a depression and anxiety mm-hmm. um, around 2008. And I just had to find a way to, to deal with that. Yeah. yeah. And would you say you specialize in any of those subjects particularly or is there a broad range of different topics well, that you can I think because you know I'm an avid reader I, I love to study I love to learn new things I love to understand things I love to understand on a deep level what's happening to me what's going on in the world what can we do about it what, why aren't we doing something about it all mm. this stuff um, and so I haven't necessarily gone to, gone to like a course or anything to, to develop resilience coaching or to develop mental health coaching or anything like that but it's through my own study and through my own lived experience yeah. that um, I can bring some wisdom to to others on that and I'm often asked to speak on it um, and like you know during COVID it became so easy you know I did something like I think it was close to 30 different talks not just here across the UK but in the Caribbean and the United States as well and it was just easy because we could just do it online as Mm -hmm. opposed to me having to be there Um, so I've made because I've written two books as well along the subject matter um, I've made friends and contacts and people have invited me to come and do talks I had to do do a lecture at um, I think it's called Central Texas College and uh, uh, yeah, so it's it yeah. kind of opened up doors um, for that. me to talk on the subject mm-hmm. and um, yeah, tell my own story and encourage people that actually y- you you can come out of it and yeah, yeah and live and a full I, life. I think someone who's been through it has found their found their way out of it and also is able to educate other people. I think that makes you an expert. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> most definitely. definitely. Oh, I love that. We're going to get into the second song on the lovely lineup of songs that Michelle has sent in for us today. This one is Bob Marley and The Wailers. Could you be loved? Oh, yes.
Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back, guys. So we have the amazing Michelle in the studio today, dropping some gems and some bombs on us. Woo! So we're going to continue our interview. I just want to ask a few questions in regards to your books. So how have your how have your own experiences shaped the advice and strategies that you offer in your books? Okay. So um, I've writ- I wrote my first book, I think it was in 2005 that was published. It's called Do Great Exploits. Um, it's got two editions. The first edition was Do Great Exploits with the byline um, saying yes to God's call when it's easier to say no. Okay. And then the second edition is Do Great Exploits, Say Yes to Your Dreams when it's hard to say, when it's easy to say no. So they're fundamentally the same, but the first book was really written for the church community. Um, and one of the reasons I felt I wanted to write that book is because I had studied for so long, and by study I mean informal study, reading a lot on personal development, reading a lot on, on um, le- leadership, and also, as I said, you know, the life coaching and all that stuff. And I just felt that in the church, because I'm a church goer, I'm a follower, a disciple, a very proud disciple of Christ, um, humbly proud, proud of Jesus, always mm-hmm. proud of what Jesus did for us. Amen. Um, and his amazing love. But um, I just felt in church, you know, you can easily get into a place where you just go to church, you go to church and you pray, but people have dreams and they're not actually pursuing those dreams. They're not actually doing anything about the dreams. You can get into a kind of a mindset that all you have to do is pray and God will somehow magically all make it happen. Mm. Um, but actually what you need to do is, is plan. You need to have a vision. You need to have... And, and, and most importantly, take action on your dreams. And then even though you take action, you know, um, just because you take action doesn't mean it's going to happen easily. Um, you know, one of the key strap lines in the book is people who do great exploits make exploits look easy. Mm-hmm. And that's because we're seeing all the people who've done their exploits and achieving their dreams and, and, and their vision. And they kind of look composed and they look cool and calm. Because they had to go through hell to get that. And yes, you don't know. <laughs> so it appears that yeah. it's easy, but actually you don't see the midnight oil, the night sleepless nights, the extra study, the extra work, the extra negotiating, extra contracts, extra ex- the, the, the failures as well. So you, you almost have like a, it's an iceberg. And what you see at the top is the success. And it looks nice. You know, when you see that uh, iceberg, it's beautiful. It's outstanding. It's awe-inspiring. But you don't see what's at the below the surface and actually what is below the surface is so much bigger than the iceberg that you do see and so that beneath the surface bit i think it was kind of missing i would say generally i'm speaking generally in church circles where people just be praying they want to start a business they want to do this they want to start a charity they want to do some missionary work but are you you're not taking action um, and so I just wanted to, I wanted to write it so that to encourage action. And I've had so many lovely testimonials back from people who've read the book telling me they actually, the book made them get up and do something. That's amazing. And they have established charities. They have established um, even like a toddler group, you know, so, you know, from what do you call, quote unquote, small things to big things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's always, it's, it was such an encouragement really getting those kind of testimonials back from the book because that's what it was meant to do is activate people in the body of Christ. And so then the second edition, um, was just sort of um, written, rewritten for a more secular audience um, along the same lines about having a vision and so on. And then, so the second book... Um, what was that called one called? Bouncing Back. Mm-hmm. Bouncing Back. Um, and it also has a strap line, which now I just can't remember what it is. 
what it's about. <laughs> Building resilience <laughs> in the new normal, I think is what it was. Um, and I wrote that during COVID. So that was 2021, something like that. Yeah. And um, I think more like 2021, to be honest, because uh, COVID started in 2020. And again, that book, given the circumstance with COVID, um, I just felt it was the kind of book that needed writing. Um, I'd always wanted to write on resilience because of my own history of um, depression and anxiety and how I was able to bounce back from that and how I continue to bounce back, in fact, and thought I wanted to share some of those principles um, that you can apply to your life daily so that you keep bouncing back, whether or not you've had a diagnosis of any kind. Because even if you haven't had one, you know, in your daily life, you get tired, you get fed up, you get discouraged, and um, there's just some really quite simple um, strategies that you can just apply to, to be able to, to bounce back and get up and go again. Well, that lo leads me into my next question, uh, amazingly. So, how can individuals cultivate a mindset that allows them to achieve great exploits in their lives? <laughs> well, how long is this show? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can you give me like top five lines? <laughs> <laughs> top five tips. Well, number one, I think it always starts with self-awareness. Whatever, wherever you are at in life, anything you want to do or change, you start with self-awareness. Where are you at? Take stock of where you're at. Um, and then build from there. So I think after, if you want some sort of really crisp points, then I would say, um, so you take stock of yourself, you, you develop your self-awareness. How are you feeling? Where are you at? Um, what is dissatisfactory in your life right now? What is it you'd rather have? Where is it you'd rather be? Just get an understanding of that. A lot of people don't have the, those types of conversations with themselves. You know, they just get up automatically and live life. They don't stop and take a time out and just, well, who am I and what am I doing? And am I really happy with where I'm at? And am I happy? Am I joyful? Am I sad? Am I depressed? What's going on with me? And I think that that is really important. And they teach us that in coaching as well. You know, it's called the state, S-T-A-T-E, your state. Get to understand what your state is. Because the good news is that you can change that state. Um, so even if you're feeling um, upset for some reason, that's the state now. But you don't have to live in that state for the rest of your life. You can actually, or wait until that state decides to change on its own. You can actually consciously and deliberately change your state. And it all begins with the thinking, um, with the way you think. And so it was a, a simple technique is to change your thoughts. So part of the self-awareness is, as particularly when I was depressed, you know, there's so much negative thinking all the time. Yeah. Beating myself up all the time. You make a mistake, you never forgive yourself. Mm -hmm. You're living in a kind of condemned state all the time. And of course, it, wh what you think then has an effect on your emotions. So when you're thinking thoughts like that, you're not going to feel all happy and let's go for it. You can actually start to feel down. You're going to start to feel blue. You're going to start to feel depressed, um, afraid, in fact. Because if you're thinking so poorly of yourself, then fear creeps in. What's going to become of me? Um, and so you can then just change the thoughts. And um, I don't want to make it sound too simple because depression is a clinical condition. Um, and it's to do with the level of serotonin in the brain and all of that stuff. So I actually was clinically depressed with uh, so low serotonin, had to be on antidepressants and all, all of that. But um, I'm just talking about generally if 
you know, we, we have emotions that change all the time. So I'm just saying that if you find yourself in an, in an emotional state that is actually blocking you from doing something, you just have to change your thoughts. You can't have two thoughts at the same time. And so one of the techniques I had to develop early on, and this is me all self-taught, is that literally I would have to write down good things to, because I couldn't think of them spontaneously. I was so far gone. And so I would just return to my little notebook and see the positive thoughts there and like literally just start thinking those thoughts. Um, now it's quite automatic because it's just something I've practiced for the last 10 years or whatever it is. So that's the first thing, self-awareness, um, kind of diagnosing where you're at, changing your thinking, um, and then taking action. So thinking about the bigger picture, the next thing in general, you should have a vision for your life, you know, a vision for, for what it is you want to achieve in your life. Then the next step is to plan around that. And really the fifth step is to take the action that's in the plan. In short, I don't know if that answers the that question. That is perfect. I think I forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> you hit the nail on the head oh, with all on, five. On, on, on. I feel like if someone was listening to what you said right now, they could go and take that and apply it to their life. So yeah. I think that's amazing. Definitely. Now we're going to get into another track on your playlist. And yeah. this is African Teacher oh. Burning Spear. <laughs> Let's go. Oh. 
Up next, we have Al Green, Simply Beautiful. If I gave you my love, I'd tell you what I'd do. Yes, 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 we are back on live Deja Vu FM, music with meaning and healing. So, you did touch a little bit as we were off mic on the music that you had selected for us and how there was a little story behind the song choice, I guess, African Teacher. Yeah, well, I guess uh, each of these songs that I shared um, with you guys 
has its own story. I mean, I'm a, a lover of music. I love probably all the genres. Um, uh, but I think reggae might be my favorite. It's probably the one I listen to the most. And then I love dancehall as well. So fortunately, there's a lot of sort of Christian dancehall now. <laughs> Papa San is the king. I mean, it's just wonderful. Some of the music he creates since he became born again, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 years ago. Because he was a big uh, reggae star in his time, um, Papa San. But anyway, this, this particular one, um, African Teacher, is by a band called Burning Spear. And um, I haven't seen them yet, but I still plan to, when, when they're back in London, I will see them. But um, I think, you know, when I was a teenager, I obviously, you know, you just start to become aware of your world and everything. And, and for me, it was always writing was my love and also justice and fairness. And you sort of observe the world and you just want to know what, well, why, is, why are things the way they are and all this stuff. And really, the music that kind of brought some, of, some explanations to that um, was the roots and culture reggae um, coming out of Jamaica. So, you know, Bob Marley, Burning Spear, um, and a host of others, Aswad, um, uh, you know, um, Steel Pulse was another one that I loved as well. And so this one, African Teacher, for me, is the baseline too. And I just love this particular song by Spear because I just love the baseline. I love how it's just laid back and, and the words as well. So again, um, I love history. So I did um, Afro-Caribbean history as part of for one of my GCSEs back in the day. And I had this history teacher who was just an amazing, amazing, amazing person. And um, um, we're still more or less in touch and he kind of really shaped my world as well around social justice and fairness and all of that stuff and I always think of his name is Askia Amanra and I always think of him um, when I when I listen to African teacher because really what the song is saying is that the education we get in you know formal education in school doesn't teach us the whole picture at all um, not even a glimpse. Not even a glimpse. Mm. That's a great point. Um, but what the song is saying is that, you know, uh, my education isn't complete until I hear from my African teachers. You know, as a black person of African descent, you've got to know your roots. You've got to know where you come from. You've got to, because we are sort of grown up in the uh, European yeah. um, way of life, the European worldview. Um, and as a black person, that's okay. But you also need to understand um, beyond that, um, who you are as a black person. Um, why did I, why was I born in Trinidad? Well, because you know there was something called a slave trade where African people, normal African mothers and fathers, aunts, uncles, cousins, children, were kidnapped, um, deprogrammed, um, brainwashed, um, went through unspeakably harsh experiences transported transatlantically it was called the Atlantic tri yeah. Atlantic um, Black Triangle between Europe, Africa Caribbean and US um, and we were brought there and then there were generations of us born into slavery um, that's why I'm born in Trinidad as opposed to I don't know where in Africa mm -hmm. so um, I think you know as black people we need to understand some of that history because it actually gives us answers to the present it explains the present and um, I can't quote it word for word but there's a paraphrase and I can't remember who said it as well but I think it might have been Frederick Douglass who said that you know 
you can only see as far into your future as you can as you have looked as far into your past right mm -hmm. so again when you're talking about vision and stuff you got to know where you're coming from as well um, in order because that will shape your vision going forward so I don't know I just love African teacher I love Burning Spears music as a whole but um, that's one I kind of listen to fairly regularly as part so of it's on a sound list yeah, yeah. my sound list and so I just thought I'd share it with you guys today no it's an amazing song thank you so much for sharing it with us so I want to talk to you a little bit about your childhood and what was it like growing up in Trinidad <laughs> Well, Trini to the bone, as hey. you say, right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I loved my life in Trinidad. I mean, um, I won't lie, we, I, I, I came from a middle-class family in Trinidad, and so I always had lots of opportunities. Um, we traveled from very young to North America and, and places. Plus, my father's side of the family, a lot of them lived in the States, um, and then I had aunts in Canada and all the rest of it. But in Trinidad, we had a really good life. My mom and dad and aunties and uncles provided really well. I was the first grandchild as well of eight aunts, so I was spoiled rotten mm, to the I bone, <laughs> basically. There wasn't anything I said I wanted that I didn't get. And, um, and my granddaddy, I loved him so much. I, uh, he's been dead 40 years, but the man is still, still so vivid and powerful in my mind. Um, and he was a great, amazing leader in his own time as well. And so it was a nice life for me growing up. But, you know, looking back, you realize actually it wasn't like that for everybody. Um, but I can't say that we ever wanted or needed for anything. Um, my mom was a school teacher. And, um, yeah. And then she retired early at 50 and started a business in horticulture. She was one of these people who... I mean, we do national plant shows like Chelsea, Chelsea Flower Show here, and she won prizes all the time every year. She would oh. take plants to those shows, and she would like win gold medals and wow. and, and yeah, she so she had this really natural gift, green fingers, um, a green thumb, <laughs> and which well, she didn't pass on to any of us. But, uh, <laughs> you give me a plant, I'll kill that. By tomorrow, that thing's dead. You understand? You know, and then if you give it to my mom, by the next day she's got it flourishing again. Aww. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so she then started this business, horticulture, selling plants. So she had this big nursery at the backyard and extended, extended. And then she started using it as a venue for weddings. So we had lots of garden weddings. Lovely. Yeah, really beautiful garden weddings um, there. Until she sadly passed away last year. Um, so she had a full life herself. And um, she was always a go-getter, dynamic kind of a woman. And so I guess a lot of that rubbed off on me and my sisters as well. How many siblings life. do you have? I've got two sisters um, by my mom. Mm -hmm. And before my mom married my dad, he had a son. Um, and so my big brother, who I love to, to the moon and back. Um, and then I've got an, another younger sister, Deandra, by my dad as well. Because my dad and mom separated for a long time. But then they came back together. Oh, about wow. <laughs> Sometimes that's how it goes. <laughs> Eight years yeah. ago. These Caribbean men. Yes. <laughs> Don't even get me started. <laughs> Not even My father is one of them, honestly. <laughs> we not even start and go there. You see how much we ain't got the time for that today. You know what I mean? But, um, yeah. Lovely. So. <laughs> so, what made you decide to come to the UK? Well, you know, it was my mother again. So, I was in Canada, as I mentioned, and um, I'd started University of Toronto. And uh, it was a bit of a struggle. Um, and mom was like, Michelle, you know, um, the UK, they're in Trinidad and they're recruiting people to come and do nursing in England. 
I was like, England? <laughs> Backward country. No way, no way to go there. But sadly, you know, I always thought of England, um, like Charles Dickens, I, I would say, is the worst ambassador because you read Oliver Twist and, and you just think that's what England is. It's oh, just wow. like this of course, damn, of dark, course. horrid place. And that was my vision of England. And so I was like, no, I'm not <laughs> going. to go there. I'm not going. I'm not going. And I was home, um, I think it was a summertime I was there, and um, she was behind me all the time. Michelle, Michelle, she filled out the application, unknown to me, signed my name, and sent it, didn't she? And of course, they then sent back a letter for me to go come over here oh, wow. for an interview. So I was like, well, <laughs> I'm not going. <laughs> you know, my mommy was after me and after me. Sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night, and my mother is literally standing over my bed praying. <laughs> Please. Wow. <laughs> so I talk to this child. She needs to go to England. That's the place for her. And she says to me one night, she said, I just woke up and I said, okay, mommy, fine. I'm going to go. Okay. I'm going to go. Just get out of my room. <laughs> she wore so, you down. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I came to England because my mother applied for me to do nursing and um, I came. And in fact, um, I did fall in love with England. Um, it wasn't what I expected, obviously. Um, and I just like the vibe of London, and I still love London. I still, I've been to many cities across the world, and I still say London is the best city in the world. It is, isn't it? Yeah. It is. Like, there's nowhere, and compared to England, like, London is just different compared to London the whole of England. Is just, it's London is, 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 is developed, but it still feels like a neighborhood to me. Yeah. It does, it's not like New York, which is just cold and just sort of everybody is just. It just still feels like like a, a big neighborhood, even though it's got so much, so much going on in it. Yeah. And that's what I love about it as well. Yeah. Wow. Oh, thank you for d letting us delve into your childhood a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. We are going to get into another track on your playlist. This is Stevie Wonder, Love's In Need of Love Today.
its possessions And it will if we let it destroy Loving the vibes in the studio today. We are definitely getting into it with Michelle Johnson, our special guest for the day on Music with Meaning and Healing. Michelle, I know you did mention a little bit about how you were clinically depressed and this was diagnosed as well. Can you give us a bit more of the behind story as to how maybe that was triggered or, you know, what at what stage of your life did this appear? So I honestly do not know what triggered it. Um, okay. It was during the course of those 10 years when I was working in the um, familial cancer clinic that I mentioned with the women who had um, complicated bereavement issues because of losing so many family members to breast and ovarian cancer and them having genetic mutations that increase their risk as well for cancer at such a young age. You know, I'd see people in my clinic who were in their 40s, but they had three breast cancers already. And of wow. course, they were just living in fear all the time of, about, um, you know, life-threatening illness. And as I mentioned, it was an emotional labor. So I don't know whether that contributed to it or mm. what, but um, I just know, know that around sort of 2006, 2007, I just started to feel really low in myself and just started to feel really disconnected from everything around me as well. And um, I had a friend who worked with me she in the same office, actually, um, and she was seeing someone, um, a therapist, and I thought, you know what, maybe I should see a therapist myself because I, I never even thought about depression. I just thought I just felt confused and not myself. Um, and so I, I managed to find somebody. And, you know, there's so much stigma around mental 
health oh, issues so much. that um, it took me a while to actually do it and then I just was like in a twist as well because I wanted to find somebody who had no connection with anybody I knew I wanted them to be somewhere where if when I went there was no chance of anybody seeing me going okay. there <laughs> so I and also I thought you know what I want to find somebody who's a Christian as well because even though I was a nurse um, and I, I was seeking a psychiatrist I still wanted somebody who would understand my faith and be working from that perspective as well so in fact after many 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 google searches and um and an i found somebody and it was she was somewhere i think it was northwood hills actually so long ago now um and i felt comfortable with that because i didn't know anybody living around there so i knew that if i got off the tube i wasn't gonna look <laughs> you I'm aren't gonna be spotted and then her counseling room was in her house as well so it wasn't even like a big um you know sign outside or anything but that is how it was so anyway, I went along and she was really, really good, actually. And um, I write, there's a bit in there in the second book that I write, write about those experiences. And she was so kind and just so, what struck me and what I remember most is that I saw her for about six months and like literally every time I went there, I finished a box of Kleenex. Really? Because as soon as I sat down and she asked me the first question, I would be crying cried throughout the whole session for the hour um at one point i even said should i start bringing my own cleaners <laughs> because i just felt i can't believe like every like literally i would empty a box of kleenex just weeping 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 and then eventually she said to me michelle um i would like to get can you share your gp um details with me so i said well yeah i could do i don't mind but why do you need them because i was doing this privately it was outside the nhs and she said well michelle you've got depression I was like, what? You? I said, no, I haven't got depression. Yes, you do. That's what I think you have. And I really think you need some additional support. So I would like to talk to you. So I gave her the contact details. But then I left her session that night. And, you know, I never went back. She called and she called. And I was like, what is this woman's problem? I just came here to have a chat. She's telling me I've got depression. And it happens all uh, the time. It is it. And then he, and also part of me, these white people, you know, just because I probably have an accent or blah blah blah, <laughs> she thinks I've got some illness. You know, so I put it all down to some racial thing. Yeah, she okay. just sees yeah. me as a black female and things. Mm. Mm-hmm. I just put my head in the sand after that. Yeah. And let me tell you, man, it was a hard slog for about another two years before I actually then thought I just can't cope anymore because I was still working and just trying to do my best but um, so eventually I just saw my GP and I had built up a good relationship with him um, over the years anyway because you know as NHS staff we just didn't talk about the NHS basically so and even that was hard to do because again you know my god what's he gonna think of me is you're gonna just think, you know, you lose respect, and that's the issue with the stigma because you think people are gonna lose respect, people are gonna think you're weird, they're gonna people judge just you, gonna judge yeah. you, mm-hmm. judge you. That's that's right. And so um, I went anyway because I thought, well, I can't, I just can't cope because I was calling in sick all the time, and usually you call in sick with a an excuse that's nothing to do with the reality. You know, I've got a headache. Yeah. <laughs> I That's so real. A belly ache. <laughs> I got a this ache. I got a next thing. But actually, it's because you can't even get out of bed. Yeah. So um, I saw him, and immediately he did a kind of a screen test. And then he says, "Yeah, I'm gonna, um, 
I'm going to refer you to the IACT services, which is um, increasing access to psychological therapy services. So at that point, because I'd gone through the two years of denial and realizing that something was wrong, I just accepted that. And then I went off to IACT. And in fact, he prescribed something as well for me, which I accepted and um, went off. And then that began my journey of recovery. But there were still lots of bumps in that road. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I had to try different medication as well because um, the the Prozac is what he started. He tried for the first time, first instance as well. Didn't really, it started, it helped. And then further down the line, it stopped. So, um, but then the combining the antidepressant with the psychological therapies, um, I think together, and in fact, research does show that that gives a better outcome as well. Okay. Because they teach you a lot of the strategies you need. So it's cognitive behavior therapy um, is what I was referred for. And that teaches you about thinking processes and how to change your state and, and all that stuff. Um, and those are techniques you just have to learn and, and, and work really hard to embed in your mind. Because I, the thing about depression is just it completely demotivates you. Yeah. Demotivates you. And um, you just... You know, it's a kind of a feeling of absolute hopelessness and pointlessness. And that is a horrible feeling. I can't even describe how horrible it is. And also how scary it is because, um, again, as I said to you, I came here alone. I have a sister, I have two sisters who live in Nottingham. But you think, well, it's not even like I could go home or you had a nice I have support. to work. I have to continue to work. Somehow I've got to work because I need to earn a living because I've got bills to pay. And also, you know, my mom's dead now. Um, And as I said, this started around 2006. Up to this day, I've never told my mother. You know, I just... Okay, that was going to be one of my questions, actually. Did you confide in any of your family? anybody. You literally dealt with it all alone. Yeah. And um, dealt with it all by myself. And in a way, this is probably, apart from the talks I do, because even then I used to control the environment when I go for a talk. I want to know who's going to be there. No chance of any staff, um, you know, colleagues that I know of. Just managing it, controlling it, because you just don't want people to know. Um, and so in a way, this is the most open I've been about it outside. I have no idea who's listening. Well, thank um, you so much for being just so <laughs> open here with us. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. No, we do. But yeah, so I don't know. I don't know if it's working in that clinic. Was it? Was just the emotional toll of it. Um, but um, that was the circumstance. And that was the beginning of my recovery. Wow, that is amazing that you have, re- is it, would you say that it's a recovery as in it's still a process, it's still a journey, or you are recovered? Well, that is a good question because I don't know the answer to it. So mm-hmm. I generally am fine, I would say. Yeah. Um, but I don't know if I'm fine because I'm automatically doing... But you're an autopilot. In my head. Mm-hmm. Do you know what so, it is? I, I think yes. from my side of looking from the outside in and from what research I've done myself you've created new neuronal pathways in your mind so you can slip into depression very easily but because you've created these new pathways in your brain your brain's gonna take you that way instead and navigate around yeah so So you've created yeah pathways absolutely and um um certainly I mean, you have your down days still, but I know what to do. So yeah. sometimes I do need time out. Whereas I'd push myself, I'd just say, you know what, that's fine, I'm staying in bed. And I said that when we were talking about that on the train, you know, sometimes you just need to sleep all day. And mm-hmm. that's what I do. 
The other thing I find that really helps me as well, because I am of the menopausal age, I'm perimenopausal, which in itself gives a fluctuation in your mood. But I'm finding that if I make sure I have a lot of green juice or green soup, so I make green juice and green soup in bulk, I freeze my green juice in these popsicle things. What's so in I your green out. juice? So I put kale, um, spinach. I noticed early on in the depression as well that if I was eating a lot of spinach, I was feeling better. So I recognized that naturally that, oh, this has an, a positive impact on me. So I always kind of make sure I have lots of greens. So it's spinach, kale, I put broccoli in there, I put cauliflower, and I just put this on, I, I would um, put all that in a pot and just literally with water and just boil it down with herbs and then I uh, blend it so it becomes puree, puree oh yeah yeah and then I put it in containers and freeze it the other thing is the juice itself so I'll do kale spinach um, what's the other one? celery anything green really <laughs> um, and I'll put an apple in for a nice little sweet flavor or um, lemon I squeeze a lemon and it's lovely as well so I freeze those popsicle in popsicle containers and I just pull one out every day so I oh, have lovely. that to drink so I don't have to think about oh gosh I gotta go home and do all this juicing it's done <laughs> yeah and so those are the kind of basic things I would do the other thing is um I'm an introvert which doesn't help mm-hmm. so I have a natural proclivity to be on my own I enjoy my own company too much way too much um, and so I have to now um, really make the effort to ensure that I, I socialize a lot because that also does help I can so relate I to that, <laughs> so that definitely I, yeah, yeah. we're very introverted but I am making um, the effort <laughs> to get up there and yes. network it I'm has to be done for my mental yeah. and well-being yeah. 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 it has to be yeah. done so I, I completely resonate so one of my that. own prescriptions is you know extroverted friends so I've got Linda and I've got many of my friends are extroverted mm-hmm. um, which is pretty irritating I have to say I was going to say oh I don't my. know if I <laughs> I wouldn't She's take that prescription no, no, shut up do they oh <laughs> my up. word so um, <laughs> but I love them anyway you know and, but I, re- I recognize that that extroversion um, pulls me forward mm. you know I kind of get swept up in the wind of it as it were and um, and I enjoy their company um, and so you've got to, to cultivate that. And they're good friends. Yeah. Yeah. We love that. We're going to get back into some music. Thank you so much, Michelle. Honestly, I am learning a great deal Same. from you so today. Much. I really am enjoying this interview. Yeah, sure and Thank shout you. out to all the women out there, all the natural women out there. This is Aretha Franklin. You make me feel you 
This is where the dance hall comes into it. <laughs> this is Bridgie Banton, Untold Story. No? Papa San, talk to me. Oh, I got it wrong. Papa San, talk to me. Let's go. That was Papa San. Papa San. Papa San. San, S A N. 
on. Talk to me. Talk to this me. This is gospel dancehall. Yeah, dancehall is genre, but it's it's a gospel song. Amazing. So I want to get into the, of your studies now. Mm-hmm. Where have you studied from from birth? Till now, <laughs> where have you studied? <laughs> well, from birth to now. Well, sec- primary, well, kindergarten, <laughs> mm-hmm. primary school in Trinidad. I did my GCSEs in Trinidad, and then at fifteen, I went to Toronto. I went to a boarding school there from the age of fifteen to eighteen, and then I worked for a short time. And then I started UFT, University of Toronto, um, and I did one year there. And at 21, I came over here. Wow, you really did travel a lot in your early years. Yeah. You know, the thing is, right, I, Middlesex University also invited me to speak at their sort of Black History Month thing. And the title of my talk was, I've lived a thousand lives. <laughs> like, literally, that's yeah. how I feel. Yeah. I lived a thousand lives. Um, and so when I came here, I studied at King's College Hospital. Um, it was called the Florence Nightingale Institute at the time, my nursing course for three years. Then I did a top-up degree with an additional year at Manchester University, but it was um, hosted at the RCN in central London, Royal College of Nurses oh, in okay. central London. And then I did a master's degree in public health at Leeds, and I literally had to go to Leeds. So that was an interesting thing because... I just got all my lectures over across two days as far as I possibly could. And I would travel up from London on Sunday night, spend the two days in Leeds, and then come back Tuesday night or Wednesday and then work shifts wow. the rest of the week <laughs> through an agency. And then literally that's how I lived for that year on that, um, that um, hamster wheel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then I got my master's degree. And then, you know, I'd, my vision was always to return to Trinidad. Because again, I was, you know, having, you know, the kind of music I listened to, the social justice thing, the let's do something better, let's make life better. I became very political and I thought, you know what, I want to go back to my country of birth and work and help there as opposed to, you know, spending my talent in developed countries. Um, And so I went back to Trinidad and it was so interesting actually because I was going to Kensington Temple, which is a big church in central London. And all my friends Oh my goodness, I've been there. It's in Tottenham Court Road. It's um oh well that's that's Hillsong. Oh, okay, okay. Katie is in Notting Hill Gate. Ah, oh, by the station. Yes, it's yes, like I've been there too. Oh, yeah, yeah I've been there. Station. I used to go there when I was younger. <laughs> that was my sort of really grounded in in the, in the word and studying the Bible and things like that. Um, and I got baptized there. So, um, uh, what was I saying now? I can't even remember. I'm sorry. You wanted to go back to Trinidad, yes. and you went there. And I did. I got a job at a district hospital in the um, hospital administrator's office. That was a six-month contract. It was okay, but it was hard. Mm-hmm. Um, very different um, culture, work culture, and all the rest of it there. Um, and then after that, I was just looking for more work, and I couldn't find any work. And so the thing is, I just thought, you know what? Let me really seek God because in fact before I went so many people were telling me God doesn't want you to go back he's telling you this is where you're supposed to live and I was like yeah well whatever I came here my mother sent me here <laughs> I didn't I, even want to come I want to go and work <laughs> in my own country live in my own country develop my own country thank you very much <laughs> so I went um, and then I just couldn't get any work so I just decided you know what I'm just going to do a fast and really talk to God eventually because literally I was just watching movies video after video after video every day because I haven't got no job and I'm just living in my mom and dad's house so um, I prayed and like literally by the end of that week I just heard go back to London 
And that Sunday when I went to church, the, the message was from Genesis 11, where, where God commanded Abraham to leave his country and his father's house and go to the land I will show you. That is the scripture. Friday afternoon, signs. <laughs> in my mind, I'm here and go back to London. Sunday, that is the scripture preached. I was like, two weeks later, I was on a flight to London. <laughs> Good on you, girl. I've never gone back to London. Okay. And have made my life here. And yeah. God has opened so many doors, and it's been a good life for me here, definitely. Amazing. Now, through your years of study, where have been the most challenging places that you have studied or worked, actually? That's a good question. I don't know that I've had so many challenges. I think that the going back and forth to Leeds was pretty hard, pretty difficult. And um, I just, yeah, but it wasn't difficult in terms of the study or anything. I was always able. It's just the, the sort of back and forth. Was there any? Four hours on the coach to Leeds Ooh, on a Sunday yeah. night. Yeah. And on the winter as well, it's so depressing. <laughs> we travel up the M1, dark winter. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah, it was not nice. Yeah. And what about for the reasons of diversity, equity and inclusion? Where have been the most challenging places for you to work or oh. be just be in general? Yeah. Well, I, even that is a difficult question because um I I, I wouldn't say that I felt challenged. Um I've okay. always I've kind of reflected so much on this because I don't know if it's because I came here as an adult as opposed to having been socialized here. Right. I think okay. there's a difference. Right. Mm -hmm. Um I was socialized and raised in a black country. Yeah. Um there was no question about the ability of black people. My prime minister, the prime ministers were black. Lawyers were black, doctors black. So you have no sense that black people are not able. Mm. Or different. Or so <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or so something. Exactly. Yeah, everybody yeah. is black. And yeah. everybody, your teachers are black, you know, doctors, scientists, everybody is black. Mm -hmm. It's when you come to a country where it's predominantly something else that you then begin. So I, I often say tongue in cheek. I didn't know that I was black until I came to the United Kingdom. I can imagine. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. No, that's so real. Yeah. <laughs> Not even in Canada, but here in particular. Really? There is just something about the way the society is structured mm. that that label is so powerful and um, associated with so much negativity that... It's just there all around you every day, all the time. And it is something that, you know, I kind of reflect on a lot um, because it's just, I mean, I could bring it's explanations wild. for it, but, mm -hmm. you know, the program, uh, you know, yeah, there's lots of explanations for it that have been proven through sociological research. Okay, so even this is empirical evidence about white structures and what it does to ethnic minorities. Okay. But um, so I would say that I would say my experience as an immigrant, 20 something year olds, as well as having come from, I would say, a privileged background. I never really felt a lot of racism towards me. That's really good. I'm glad that you when you came here personally. OK. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that I can observe it and I mm. see it all around. Right. I feel that. And it's there. All yeah. The time. Mm hmm. Um, Recently, I had a, an experience so bizarre. I've been here 30 odd years and it was just. Just recently. This year or just last year. I went into Sainsbury's where I shop all the time. And this security guard was following me all over the place. 
Mm. And then eventually I just thought, you know what? I'm going to deal with him. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get loved, dealt with today. I would have loved to be a fly on that <laughs> I'm wall. I'm going to make sure he never does that to yeah. anybody yeah. else. So I went and I did my own self-checkout. And then I just walked up to him and I said, um, excuse me, you were following me around this shop. And he kind of looked taken aback. I said, yes, you were. No, I was Yes, you did. I saw you. Let me tell you something. I'm a senior manager in the NHS. I am not a thief. I come into this shop very regularly. This is the first time I saw him. Mm -hmm. I said, don't you, when you see my face, don't you ever do that again. And furthermore, do not do that to any other black person coming into this shop. He looked so like stunned. He, he bowed his head like that and I walked away. When I saw him the second time, again, eye contact, and he just kind of bowed his head. <laughs> I thought, good, I've le- you learned your lesson. Yeah. yeah. Good on you. Stand Definitely. Up. You stand up for yourself. I was like, I mean, that really annoyed me. And, mm-hmm. and, and I've thought about it. So, because, again, 30 odd years living here, and that's like the first encounter. I've been caught, stopped by the police twice, though, I have to say. Driving or? Driving. Oh, okay. Not that I haven't done anything wrong. Um, but you should see the carry on with these police yeah. shouting and get out of the car. And <laughs> Just the dramatics. And I'm like, <laughs> why? It so I don't even, So the thing is, I just keep my mouth shut because yeah. I'm thinking, where did these thugs? Mm-hmm. What crawl, hole did they crawl out from? <laughs> even if I did something wrong, who are you to yeah, talk to me like that? Exactly. I'm not resisting you. So I just get really calm and quiet. The first lot were two females, actually. And the second one was a female cop as well. Yeah. And then she called another unit. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I had to stand on the side of the road for an hour and a half <gasps> waiting for this other unit to come. For what? What she said. What had happened was I was driving up the road to work and you know your wing mirror? Mm-hmm. My wing mirror clipped another wing mirror of a car that was parked. But when I looked out, I heard the thud, but you know the wing mirror spring back. So I looked out at my mirror and it didn't appear broken. Um, So I just kept going. And Mm. out to the corner, I didn't see that wing mirror. The other wing mirror wasn't broken either. So I, and then as I further up the road, which is inching forward, I'm hearing this horn behind me, beep, beep, beep. So I keep looking in the mirror thinking, what do you want me to do? This traffic. So then she's like, pull over, pull over. And she was in a white van. It was an unmarked van. Oh, oh so okay. you didn't know. So you're thinking, like, what yeah, exactly. is this yeah. going on? She was like, so I just kind of pulled over eventually when I could. And then she came up the side, get out of the car, I'm a police officer. You just hit somebody's car and he drove off. Wow. So I got out of the car thinking, oh, all right. So I got out. My wing mirror just has a little scrape on it. She's just carrying on, shouting and carrying on. So anyway, she said, I've hit a forensic vehicle. It was her car, apparently. I, I. She made it up. She lied because it was not a van that I, <laughs> that I had the wing mirror, right? Yeah. So she just lied. I think she must have been behind me and saw it and just decided, you know mm-hmm. what? I'm just going to, you know, be a white racist today. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the thing is, I just become very calm when I'm around that. And I speak in a very low, very gentle, very measured voice. Absolutely polite. Yes, officer. No, officer. If you give me a moment, I'll get my bags, rice, and food, and blah, blah. But she was still insistent she was calling this other unit. So we stood there for ages waiting for them to come. And in that hour and a half of talking, of course, I just, my whole, she changed because I wasn't, 
feeling giving it. her anything to go and off then yeah just so i just eventually i said to her, you know what officer i know your job is really really hard isn't it and she's like very hard so then that brought her yeah. to a different place mm-hmm. um and then i just started to share my faith with her i said you know in stress you know i really look to the lord he gives me peace um Whatever, whatever. I just went on and on. And then she says, "You know, I, I I've got a fellow um copper in my uh, um in whatever my station or whatever. Station. Yeah. Um, he's a Christian, you know, and he's always talking about that. He's always talking about Jesus and da, da, da. I said, "Yeah, well, you should listen to him because he Jesus does make a, a difference in your life, you know." And then she started to tell me about her son who's giving her problems. Oh wow! <laughs> so again, I'm counseling her around the son. <laughs> <laughs> then finally, when the two other policemen came. You could see even so one Asian, one white. So the one, sorry to whoever the listeners are, but the one white guy, he was just really also very hostile. He just started to talk to her and basically left me to the Asian copper. Asian copper says, "Come to the car, get in the car." So at that point, I was like, "Are you arresting me?" Yeah, <laughs> like, what is going like on? well, no, but you need to. I need to get a statement from you. So I'm like, "Well, where should I sit? At the back or the front?" So he's like, "Sit in the front." The front. Oh my goodness. And then I'm like, what is really going on here? <laughs> so then he's like, um, I need to caution you. So again, I don't, I'm not experienced. So again, when he starts to, you have a right, to, I'm like, are you arresting me? <laughs> he's like, no, but I got to read the caution. So that is a whole bit about whatever you say can be held against you, blah, okay. blah, 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 blah. So eventually he asked me a few questions and I answered them. And he said, that's fine you can go i said i can go yes you can go i said nothing further he said no nothing further wow. but you can see even in his face he knew that it was because it of was my silly. race i had been stopped because yeah. yeah. there was nothing yeah. when she showed them the car and i looked there was nothing on her car because that wasn't even it was a van it wasn't mm. that car that i had hit so she concocted this entire wow. lie and um thank god you know so god is in my thing is right as she was talking to me when the devil attacks I always attack back. And that's why I decided, you know what? I'm going to share the gospel with this yeah. woman today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because to let the devil know that, you know, I'm going to do that if you do that to me. So And you're going to kill him I with kindness. The with her. <laughs> you know, when it was all said and done, mm-hmm. this woman put her arms around me and gave me a wow. hug. Wow. No way. And it's like, okay, bye-bye, Michelle. Oh, no. After you didn't Can waste you three hours of my time. believe it. Oh, the audacity. <laughs> And it was like waving like I hope she's listening right now. Long lost good friend. Oh my goodness. That is I hope she actually gained something from that interaction and she doesn't stop people for the sake of nothing. Hopefully she just can't assume because you've got black skin that something Mm -hmm. But sometimes you have to be put in those situations to teach other people lessons and it could have just been for her to have not made that presumption or you know jump to that conclusion it's actually maybe an appointment as well god appointment because maybe yeah. someone really needed exactly, exactly. Yeah. she needed yeah. that, she needed that yeah. and you was the you know her but lesson that's all the ridiculous nonsense that goes on with police officers yeah. wow yeah. thank goodness i don't think i've ever had that sort of a <laughs> encounter with police you know i like to stay under the radar <laughs> but you well, never I was know was <laughs> i was driving just my little gray honda Jazz, oh. my name, my own business going to work. <laughs> she was on the prowl, no, she was on the hunt. Yeah, and I definitely <laughs> believe that was a moment that she needed in her life. Not, yeah, it wasn't, it yeah. wasn't anything so to do with you with more. Yeah, definitely. All right, well, that was a, a story and a half. And now we're going to get into an untold story by Buju Banton. All right, let's go. While I'm living. Thanks I'll be given 
living while I'm living to the Father I will pray. Only in no all we get through every day. Only I can the price on my leg we have to pay. While our leaders play, all I see people are ripping a rob, all are grimy. Thief never love is in thief with long bag. No love for the people who are suffering bad. Another toll to the bone, may God help us all. What is to stop the youth from getting out of control? Full of our education, yet no owner payroll. The clothes from me back of countless high old. Good go on. No, 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 the fool has never been told. I'm a living while I'm living to the Father, I will pray. Only him know how we get through. Every day with only I can the price. I'm a leg we have to pay. While our leaders play, Mr. Who can afford to run will run. But what about those who can't? They will have to stay. Opportunity, a scarce, scarce commodity. In this time I say, when mama spend her last, I send you the class. Never you ever play. It's a competitive world for low-budget people. Spending the time while earning a nickel. With no record to who it may tickle. My cup is full to the brim. I could go on and on, the fool has never been told. Do this life we get to the job. Oh, give up now. That is a man. Somewhere, somehow. I could go on and on. The fool has never been told. I'm a living while I'm living to the Father. I will pray. Only him know how we get through. Every day with only I in the price. I'm a leg we have to pay. While our leaders play, all I see people are ripping around, all are grimy. Thief never love is a thief with long bag. No love for the people who are suffering real bad. Another toll to the poor, may God help us all. What is to stop the youth from getting out of control? Full up of education, yet no owner payroll. The clothes by your back of countless eye hole could go. No, no, the fool has never been told. I'm a living while I'm living to the Father. I will pray. Only him know how we get through every day. Only I can the price. I'm a leg we have to pay. While our leaders play, we say, Who can afford to run? We'll run. But what about those who can? They will have to stay. Opportunity has scarce, scarce commodity. In this time I say you, when mama spend her last and send you go class, never you ever play. It's a competitive world for low-budget people, spending the time while earning a nickel, with no record for who it may tickle. My cup is full to the brim. I could go on and on, the fool has never been to, could go on and on. The fool has never been told. Could go on and on. The fool has never been told. Could go on and on. The fool has never been told. Could go on and on. The fool has never been told. Could go on and on. The fool has never been told. Could go on and on. The 
photo's never been told. Could go on and on. The phone has never been told. Well, 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 we are back in the building live on Deja Vu FM, music with meaning and healing. Just before you carry on, I just want to shout out all the people in the chat and those of you who are listening back on the podcast. We appreciate you. So, Michelle, we have really learned so much about you, honestly. We were just saying we might have to do a part two. (laughs) Because, honestly, (laughs) we are not even halfway through the lineup of songs that you have sent in for us today. And there's still so much more to get into. I wanted to ask you something because I know from myself, I find it sometimes easy to give advice, but then a little bit harder to practice what I preach (laughs) (laughs) yeah so um, as a life coach do you find it helpful to take your own advice in life well yes Um, I don't always take my advice as you say Mm -hmm. Um, when I was younger I probably did but as I've gotten I mean I'm kind of middle-aged now and um, I think you go through different phases of life where you're your your something changes and you you change your outlook or you change what you want um what you want changes what you enjoy changes as well that's the other thing and i'm certainly i would say a lot more mellow in many many ways um than what i was um and yeah life is kind of sweet for me I, i thank god for that but um I, I have a third book in me that I have been wanting Ooh. to write for some time. Exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> and um, <laughs> you had it here first and they love you. And I don't know what I'm waiting on to just get on with it. So I'm not taking my own advice by taking action okay. on that particular one. Okay. And I do not know. But it was a bit like that for the second one. Resilience was in my mind for a long time. And I was like, I don't know. But then COVID just gave me, boom, perfect environment to write on resilience. I think there is divine timing so that happens there's as some, well. Yes, there's some timing involved, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love your quotes on Instagram. Do you have a favorite quote or saying that you swear by? Well, there's one that I really love, and uh, um, it's they just say it's an African proverb. It says, they buried us, but they didn't know that we were seeds. Mm. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yes, yes. Us, because we're going to grow we through seeds. it. That's right. Mm-hmm. Lovely, yeah. lovely. Do you have any techniques, tools, or regimes that you do religiously to remain focused, balanced, and maintain that positive mind? Can you share? spend a lot of time on my own ah uh, yes um, I, i'm always yeah. an advocate for that yeah <laughs> i spend a lot of time on my own mm-hmm. a lot of that time is not that constructive um i play a lot of video games as well so okay that's but i think when i'm playing on my phone yeah i'm doing so much thinking so i could be it could be any time saturday sunday anytime i might be thinking about a problem at work and, so, and working through that or I might be thinking about something to do with church and I'm working through that or family or whatever it is. So somehow that video game, although I'm playing it, I'm actually doing a lot mentally. Um, but I don't say, I don't, know, I don't know if I have any kind of a routine. I'm trying to build the gym into a routine. And I think I have done. I do Tuesdays and Thursdays, mm-hmm. which I really enjoy. I feel so much better in my body just doing that. Mm-hmm. That, that motivates me because when I stop, I, see the, I feel the difference. Yeah. It's not even about the weight. It's just about how I feel on the inside. And my body feels stronger and I'm less out of breath and I feel more switched on and all that. So, um, And also, the, you know, the gym also releases the dopamine, mm-hmm. all the happy hormones the happy enzymes 
stuff like that. So um, I have a routine around that. Um, my diet, I try to like do a lot of a bit of intermittent fasting as well. Um, but apart from that, you know, I'm very spont. I would say spontaneous. I don't like to have a lot of things planned. I just love to show up on a day and do what I feel like doing in that day. And I think that's the beauty of being single. And that's what I love about being <laughs> single. I don't have to think about having to go home to cook for nobody, mm-hmm. wash anybody's clothes, or listen to somebody's drama, whatever. Um, I can be out as late as I want to book a flight, go somewhere if I want, be in bed all day if I want. Um, and so I'm very spontaneous in that sense. When You're I start free. seeing lots in the diary, I start to feel anxious yeah. again, actually. Um, and so I like to have friends who will out of the blue call up and say, are you going to a movie or should we do this or that? Obviously, there's some things you have to book in advance. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I know I've got, like last week, I went to see this amazing play at um, the, the Orange Tree in Richmond. It was a Trinidadian writer, playwright. Really, really good. But because that was there, it meant that I definitely wasn't planning anything else. It was enough to have something planned. The rest of the thing I want to just do, take it as it comes mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. Nice, nice. Wow. Sounds like freedom. Yes. <laughs> and we like freedom. Yeah, we love yes. that. We're going to get right back into this next one by Andre Crouch with The Promise. Oh, yeah, I love this one. All right. Enjoy, guys. Oh, 
next we have Chronics Skanking Sweet. Jarvis, I know you're locked in. Hey, Jarvis. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
let's get back into the interview we've not got long left guys we've only got 20 minutes left but we are enjoying ourselves and really really appreciate you joining us today michelle thank you so much i'm enjoying my conversation with you too darling (laughs) so um there are a lot of common misconceptions about mental health and how we can work towards breaking down those barriers do you have any advice to break down those barriers or have you done anything in your company to do that well you know that's one of the challenges even within the nhs is tackling the stigma around mental health issues Um, for some of the reasons i already outlined you know there's a lot of shame associated with it there's a lot of judgment um, associated with it and so you one hides it as as much as one can really um, and so I think as a society, as a community, as, as individuals, we just have to make up our minds that we are not going to judge other people. We don't know where they're coming from. We don't know yes. what they've experienced. You know, in Christianity, one of the key scriptures is, you know, you do unto others as you would have done unto you. That is a standard that we should all be living by, regardless of what our faith is, um, whether we believe in God or we don't believe in God. Just don't do to other people what you don't want done to you. Um, Don't judge other people because you don't want to be judged. Don't be unkind to other people. You don't want to be unkind, you know, to be treated unkindly. Show Mm. consideration because that's what you want is to be shown consideration compassion be compassionate because you want to be treated compassionately and so it's the same thing to do with mental health um we don't understand it we don't understand um sometimes you know what what it what the experience is for people but it's about just allowing people to be who they are um and being respectful of each other so i think with with regards to stigma um, and it happens in the Caribbean a lot as well. You know, people make fun of people who right. have mental health issues. Um, and sometimes even in our Western media, some of the, you know, the sitcoms, uh, the, the dramas, whatever it is, it always gives somebody with mental health issues a bad light or, or they could be made or they could be ridiculed or something. So we just have to break through some of these perceptions and decide for ourselves that you are not going to treat other people unkindly by making fun of them or judging them and we don't know what the experience is we've not gone through it ourselves yeah um and it stops a lot of people actually from coming forward to receive the help that they they need to get because of that reason so some of our sort of um communities our subpopulations in the uk um don't come forward so you know we've got so many populations somali populations afro-caribbeans asians in those cultures in particular there's so much shame attached Mm -hmm. to mental health issues and so people struggle with them as best they can without just coming forward to seeing a gp and get accessing the support the treatment that will actually make a difference for them Um, and so that's what i would say is just not to be judgmental that is a big thing to to tackle stigma it sounds like um what we would call my company allyship Yeah. 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 Be an ally to these people. Yeah. Amazing. And with your work as a coach and the uh, effort that you've put into your book to become an author, what kind of impact do you hope to leave on individuals and communities? That's the kind of impact what I just described. Yeah. um, No judgment. I no judgment. Be more mindful. Be more mindful. It's about loving each other because. And I don't want to sound wishy-washy with loving each other. I just mean 
it's again do unto others as you would have done unto mm-hmm. you and i don't think it's wishy wishy so, to say love each other because i think people need to love each other a lot more mm-hmm. in our day and age and even you know the love aspect is about uh, respecting people one of the things i kind of noticed as well you know you just pe- generation today don't have any respect for people who are older mm. so you just see older people just being treated like nothing no courtesy, no respect, no regard for them. I find maybe it's because I was raised in the Caribbean, but n- and maybe it's that I'm getting older myself, you know. But I find, you know, if there's some an older gentleman or woman trying to cross the street, I stop my car and I let them cross the street. Um, they're there. I open the door. I was somewhere last on um, Tuesday night. I went to this event at British Film Institute, and two elderly, an elderly couple came in. There were only two seats, and me and my friend were sitting on it. But as soon as I saw them, I thought, "Would you like to sit?" I'm, we are quite happy to stand, and they were like, "Oh no, 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 dear, we're okay." You know, you just want to show some respect for our senior citizens. When I say love, I mean that kind of respect yeah. and mm-hmm. consideration. Yeah. Of whatever age you are, whatever your background, whatever your race, whatever your faith, it's about showing respect for the humanity in the other person. Um, and not thinking that, and understanding that there are inequalities. Um, and there's this mindset that for me, I want more, 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 more. But the thing is, the more you get, it's the less somebody else has yes. to have. And how much more? You know, you can't, you can only live in one house, drive one car at a time, wear one set of clothes at a time. Why do you want more and more and more when there are people living on the street? We just passed a tent in the park where, you know, a homeless person obviously sleeping in a tent. Yeah. And you just think that's, that's rampant in London at the moment, sleep, you know, homelessness and sleeping in tents. I want to bring a more Christ-like approach to our living. You know, Christ is, God is love. The Bible says he is love. It says, um, and I obviously I can't leave this show without giving my message. I Everything about me, my, the foundation of my life is Jesus Christ. I'm a disciple of his. I'm a follower of his. Um, and he, he, it was because God loved us that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so that we can be in right relationship with him. We're all sinners. We've all done wrong things. I have done wrong things. I still do wrong things. I still sin. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you don't sin. It's the human frailty aspect of us. It's the sin nature that is operating on the inside of us. But in order to be in relationship with God, we need Jesus as that bridge because he was perfect he was sinless um, and he laid his life down as a way of um, for us to obtain forgiveness for our sins so that we can be in relationship with God Um, and so it's about love he calls all of us he loves all of us he wants all of us to come to him regardless of your background your race your ethnicity your age your gender whatever it is Um, and he's just about love he's just about supply he's about abundance he's about making sure everybody's got food in their belly you know people came to listen to him preach he realized my goodness we've been preaching all this time mother women children everybody they must be hungry he performed a miracle fed five thousand fed seven thousand people so he's not just about the spiritual he's about recognizing we have physical needs as well and he's promised that he will supply those needs so you know i just think it's about my message is is god it's about jesus he's the foundation everything i have everything i do um it's because of him 
and it's about love which is about serving other people supporting other people facilitating other people encouraging and nurturing the best in each one of us um, and I guess that is what I am about really that's your essence yeah that's my essence I love it thank you so much for sharing those words with us thank you beautiful Okay, we're going to get into this next one by Still Pulse, Wild Goose Chase.
Yes, we only have a few minutes left of the interview with our special guest, Michelle Johnson. Michelle, where can we find your books? They're on Amazon. Mm -hmm. They're on Apple. Um, They're on any sort of digital... I think Waterstones, they're mm-hmm. all over me. And what's the name of them again? The first one's called Do Great Exploits and the other one's called Bouncing Back. Lovely, lovely. Now, there are studies that show that being empathetic comes naturally to some people. And for those that it doesn't naturally come to, it can be taught. In your honest opinion, do you think if you lack that empathetic gene, then being in the industry that you are yourself is not necessarily for that type of a person? (laughs) (laughs) I agree. Yeah. Um, With my long history of being in healthcare services and working in the NHS, I have met many people who lack empathy. Mm. And I wonder, why did you come to work in the NHS? Yeah. If you can't see the patients, if you Mm. cannot understand that the reason you are there is for patients, um, what is it you're doing in the NHS? Mm -hmm. I'm so sad that we do have quite a lot of people like that. Yeah, Yeah. no, it's, it's very true. I mean, I myself have gone through child therapy from since I can remember up until the age of 16 and the different type of therapy that I received cognitive behavior therapy family therapy and it was just so interesting for me I was analyzing them and I was just looking at some of them like why are we here why are you here do you even like this do you even care about me no you don't it's very obvious so yeah yeah it's definitely something Mm -hmm. have you ever worked with children in that capacity or is not really, no. I've yeah. done some agency on, on sort of pediatric wards, but not a lot okay. of children. I find children too finicky. Not children, children. I mean children nursing, children, me- child right. uh, pediatric medicine. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, yeah, children go off very easily. Yeah. yeah. And so it, well, I wasn't drawn to children, but mm-hmm. um, I like surgery is my favorite thing. So okay. gynecology and women's health has been the brand okay. of my and you mentioned you did some work with your church. Was that oh, also? Oh yes, so I was the youth leader at my church at Wembley Christian Centre for mm-hmm. the time that I was there, which was just about over ten, maybe eleven or so years. So I was a youth leader, um, and I ran um, like what we call cell groups, home groups for young people. Um, I really enjoyed it in my time. Mm-hmm. So, and when I say youth, I mean like sort of mid late teens, university age. Yeah. Yeah, no, you can learn a lot from, I think, you know, the younger generations, you know, there's always something new to learn and they're always there learning it. (laughs) I think looking back at my life, I just wish at times that I had somebody who was older Mm. and a bit more experienced just coming alongside. And I think that's what I want to do. What I do is just come alongside because I kind of realize the, you know, the um, innocence of youth and uh, how easy it is to sort of make the wrong choices for things and um so you just want to come and just you know be that guidance exactly yeah that mentor figure that i find we don't always have like myself and you just said that you know it would have been nice to have had that person to look up to and you know feel motivated yeah yeah Do you find coaching a person works better online or in person? Um, hmm, That's a really good question. 
so I would think maybe in person mm-hmm. might be the better way, but it's it's doable online. It's not yeah. And with the way technology is yeah. now, you know, everything Absolutely. is online. Yes. And That's one thing COVID was good for. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah <it's> showing <laughs> the world the that there is different ways. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But, but do you Especially find as it? As an introvert as well, I just think, <laughs> oh, yeah, lovely. I'd rather do my team meetings for work on, on Teams yeah. Yeah. than be in the room, to be <laughs> honest with you. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> no, it's, it's practical, you know. But I find, like you said, in person, you get a, more of a sense of the person. You can actually see their body language more and you know there's so much different elements and layers to it when you're actually in a person's presence so yeah I think the both can be achieved yeah but in person yeah Mm -hmm. definitely guys it's been emotional I know it's been emotional I was like trying to hold on to the last little bit like I'm before sorry, I knew it was up. coming. I knew it was coming. <laughs> so we've got three minutes left and we still got one track to play. So I just want is there anything else that you would like to say? Well, I just want to say thank you to you both. Um I'm proud of you and oh. I think you're doing really well. And oh, thank um, you. Well done and keep going really. And uh, London, uh, whoever's listening, London's a lovely city. Enjoy it to the max. And as for you, um, I think you know, find 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 your spiritual place. I, I definitely would say Jesus Christ is it. Um, there's no one like him. And um, find out. You make so, you know, do some investigations and find yes. out about Jesus, basically. <laughs> And get to know him. Um, we're living in very, very troubled times. And as a Christian, I've been a, long, a Christian for a very long time. Definitely, there's something different now in the world. And I think people outside the church, uh, secular people, are recognizing it. There is a change in tone um, in the world, politically, socially, environmentally, in every way, it's coming to a head. And our Christian faith is that Jesus Christ is going to return. Um, and really those who don't know him as their Lord and Savior are actually going to find themselves in very, very difficult, a very difficult place. So I want to advise people and encourage people to get to know Jesus. Well, thank you so much. This has been the Music with Meaning and Healing show with myself, Kuda London, and my amazing co-host, MSG. Thank you to Michelle for joining us and dropping so much knowledge on us today. We will definitely be back for part two. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, we're going to play. Now we're going to play um, Wayne, Wayne Wonder. Wonder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just waiting for Which the one are we going to play by? I don't here? know why. Featuring okay. Buja Banton. Cool. All right. Bye, guys. See you next Bye. week. <laughs> you know, that's a bridge. Come on, it's no objective. But from it's good nothing, we have it. Fast.